And I think most of us, quite honestly, don't know how to call what is happening to us burnout. And so for me, that number of 50 to 64 percent at the end, I think is actually probably much higher. But people don't know that what burnout is. Um, and so they just assume it's a normal level of stress that is happening to them, or they're just feeling overwhelmed or some of the other factors of it. Like the, the conversation of burnout as something within kind of our language is really so, so new outside of it being for the like upper echelon of employees. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again, my friends. We are the voice of the most important conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow so we can explore the impact and convergence of business technology, and people. Jason, when I wrote my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, started to write it in 2016, published in 2017, and then a new edition in 2020, the premise, the first part of the book, first half of the book, was about living in a VUCA world, V-U-C-A. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And of course, many people at that point, uh, people for the centuries through the millennia have been frustrated by change. They, they, many people embrace change. Most people are uh, frustrated and, and some people are terrified by it. So the response, anytime you talked about VUCA was people planted their feet, dug in, doubled down on the status quo, uh, baby boomers and older generations or uh, generation X uh, plan to just kind of ride out the storm, ride out uh, the change, ride out VUCA. For the last few years, I was tired of hearing about, well, if I can just last 10 more years or five more years and then I can retire. Uh, and then they're off into the sunset. Uh, but then 2020 hit, February 2020 hit, and the shift hit everyone's plans. We talk about that every single week. Uh, and what most of us are finding is that it's really hard to be a 2019 version of ourselves in the world we live in now. It's plain exhausting, lots of stress, lots of burnout, lots of quiet quitting, whatever we want to call it, but there's a lot of things going on. Literally business, technology, and people, Googleization, converged like a perfect storm. And we all sort of found ourselves living in a surreal future of work experiment, and we call it never normal. Uh, there's a whole lot of opinions out there, and we certainly provide our share, uh, but there's not really not many definitive answers. We're, we're literally living this experiment and, and figuring it out while we're flying the plane, how to keep it in the air and how to land it. Uh, but many of us, including over 200 guest thought leaders on Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, are trying to figure out what's next. How is life impacting work? How is work impacting our lives? How is tech impact, impacting both? So we couldn't be more excited today to welcome Sarah White, Sarah is the founder and CEO of a company called Aspect 43, we'll have to figure out where that name came from, that researches all these workplace trends and then advises the biggest names in HR and work tech how to strategize and respond. So she's she's getting both sides. She's getting both from the candidates and the employers and employees and the employers and also the technology companies and the HR advisory companies that are supporting that. So her, they just released, her company just released a brand new report, 2022 Insights at Work. It's a doozy. And I, I gotta tell you, I've been digging into it. I, I it's, it just sits here and I keep referencing it for the last few weeks uh, and especially preparing for this. So before, but before we get there, before we bring Sarah on and really dig into this report, it's time for our perfect labor storm. And didn't have to go very far for some trends that are happening this week uh, because I pulled them from the report and this is what we're gonna be talking about. 51% of employees are in active burnout at work. 
51%, more than half, are saying that they're in active burnout. The number's even higher for HR professionals. Uh, the report said 62%, which is probably refreshing because I've seen reports as high as 80 and 90% for HR burnout. Here's the problem. Only 15% of companies consider burnout a top concern. We're surely going to be hearing about that. 40% of employees of employees are struggling to balance the demands of work and home. So this flexibility work-life balance is a great experiment, but we're still figuring out how to do it. 41% of employees are worried about inflation. I'm not, we're going to talk maybe what can companies do to help with that. And one in six employees want more mental health support. So uh, uh, there's a lot of things companies can do. Employees are, are speaking out, but we got a long way to go. So can't wait to hear more about the data. Yep. I can't wait for us to bring Sarah on in two minutes. And just one more thing to add to that uh, as we get ready to bring her on. Uh, one of the most well-known capitalists, I think, in America is Kevin O'Leary. If you watch Shark Tank, he's Mr. Wonderful, one of the investors on, on that famous show Shark Tank and certainly believes in traditional capitalism. And yesterday he dropped a tweet on a subject that touches on all these things you just chatted about, Ira, and that we're going to be discussing with Sarah in more detail. Here's what he asked on Twitter yesterday. Quote, when you bring someone in that slams their laptop shut at five o'clock, what kind of company culture are you cultivating? Well, let me tell you, the responses to the tweet that he got, some of them really caught my attention. Here were just a few responses to that tweet from Kevin O'Leary. Quote, you're creating a culture in which leaders are delusional and thinking that their employees should act like equity holders despite being paid in peanuts and attaboys. Here was another one. You're creating a culture that values an employee's life. Mr. O'Leary may work extra time because he owns a company and is invested and reaps exponential benefits from the success. But unless an employee has real equity in the company, let's be honest, it's a job that can be terminated at will without notice. And just one more, a last one that's really short here. Someone commented, build your own dreams or someone else will hire you to build theirs for less. Ira, we've reached the great divide in many organizations. And let's be brutally honest, those who have been fortunate to sit at the top and reap the benefits for so long are starting to feel uneasy that the rest of folks are waking up and exercising their freedoms and options to look out for their own best interests, including working somewhere that truly lives out a healthy work-life integration. And this archaic thinking that folks need to work themselves to death in order to get ahead in life is long overdue for a funeral service because it already died a few years ago. The future of work is centered around purpose and abundance, not begging for scraps from those at the top. And so I think without further ado, it's probably a good time for us to bring Sarah White into the show so that we can dig into this even deeper and the report on Insights at Work from Aspect 43. It sounds great. And just a real quick reminder for everyone, if you're listening to the show or you're watching the show and you want to receive term credits, please go to googleizationnation.com. And right in the upper right, click on podcasts, and then there's a form you can fill out real quick and easy just to verify that you listened and some talking points, something that you learned, and uh, you can get anywhere from a half to a full credit uh, for that. And uh, if you are listening on uh, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen, uh, please rate the show and drop a review. And without further ado, let's bring on Sarah. At Googleization Nation, standing ovation, Sarah. Hey guys, how are you? We're great. How are you? Good. There's so much I could talk about just from what you just um, started with and the, the responses to that tweet. So. Yeah, I was thinking when we were doing that, I was a lot to unpack there. Let's start with an easy one. Let's start with a real easy one. Aspect okay. 43. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> where where'd that come from? <laughs> um, the name itself actually came from, there's a ton of different aspects when you're looking to any problem, when you're trying to solve it. And it's so easy for us in business to want to jump to one place or another place and focus on a really small piece instead of looking at 
everything very holistically from everybody's different perspectives. And so that's really where Aspect 43 came to be. Um, and, and 43, there's a couple of things. One was, if this doesn't make it by 43, I'm going back corporate. Um, I'm going to take a real job by the time I turn 43. And the other one is 43 is actually the latitude line um, of my family of origin in the Southern Hemisphere and of Tuscany, where I just absolutely love in Italy, um, in the Northern Hemisphere. So there are just some random stuff, nothing mind-blowing. That's all pretty. That's all pretty cool. That's interesting. So we'll have to. Where where where's the latitude forty three in the southern hemisphere? New Zealand. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Ooh. Nice. yeah. So nice. my family's off the southern island of New Zealand. My dad and that that side of the family. Excellent. So let's talk about this report. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every page is a it's literally a page turner. It's get, get there. Okay. What's next? What's next? What's next? And uh, we we at the one of the questions we'll ask at the end is certainly you you also looked at what some of the biggest trends are from from tech companies, uh, what employees are asking for, employers are asking for, and then I've got to you know it, somewhere in there I've got to ask you is is how aligned is it with what employees are looking for because sometimes employers are looking I, I've experienced this a lot in the candidate uh, on the recruitment or candidate yeah. side is em employers are looking to make their job easy but it often makes the applying hard uh, and uh, so we can get into that a little bit what you found out but what was uh, what was the most surprising thing this year you've been doing this a number of years I know you changed the name uh, not too recently uh, but uh, what, what was there what surprise I won't say if anything surprised you but what surprised you the surprised you the most? Yeah, I think I'll step back just to clarify. One of the things that we do very, very differently um, with our research is first and foremost, we actually have no revenue model at all from practitioners. So everything that we do as a company, um, all of our research, all of our reports, everything along these lines is available 100% for free to any business leader, practitioner, anybody else that wants to download it. We really wanted to, when I founded this company, democratize the access to quality information um, so people can make legitimate decisions and we can actually start seeing change in business, not just in business that can afford large membership prices. So it gives us a lot better insight because practitioners, business leaders, are far more open with us because they know we're not gonna turn around and try to sell them anything. So if they say, hey, we're trying to buy this or we're looking at this or here's some of the struggles we have, nobody's gonna call them up and be like, hey, we have this service, we could help you with your selection or your consulting or whatever this is. We just are like, good luck, um, here's your stuff. So that helps a lot. The other thing that we do very differently than a lot of the other HR research that you see is HR is part of our responses, but it is not all of them. Our research actually expands out and includes employees, supervisors, managers, VPs, both in and outside of HR. So we're actually able to see and compare those trends um, and, and identify where that is. I think one of the biggest, um, what you guys see as the report and what people download, uh, it's 44 pages. It's not a written, right? It's very visual. So it makes it a little bit easier to digest for people. Um, but it's about a third of actually everything that we get out of the research. So it's just too much. We try to pull what the most interesting pieces are for practitioners to put into this public version of the report. And I think one of the most interesting things we found is the discrepancy between people at that VP level and everyone else in the organization. And this existed across every size organization, every single industry, um, and, and quite honestly, every single role. It was not exclusive to HR, although it was far more pronounced with people that held the title of VP of HR versus everyone else. Um, I guess it shouldn't have been surprising. It's been an ongoing trend we've seen for 12 years. We just expanded this research out so much this last year um, I think we, it went 10x in size, um, in length and participants and everything else. And so we expected that to actually drop off and it only became more pronounced. Sarah, one of the things that just absolutely stunned me in your findings was that only 15% of companies yeah. consider burnout a top concern. Now, yes. 
I, I don't want to speak necessarily on behalf of most of Googleization Nation, our listeners, but I got to think there's a collective WTF when hearing that in their minds right now of yeah. how was that even possible? Are there any insights you can provide on, on that particular statistic? Yeah, as we actually dove into it, we found that um, a lot of people thought it was valid, but only in particular roles. They didn't think it was something that actually was widespread. And so if as we kind of filtered and went down, there were a higher percentage of people that said, well, yeah, it's a top concern, but only for a small percentage of our workforce, only for our directors, only for our VPs, only for whatever this group is. And so I think where there's a misunderstanding at is really around uh, who and what burnout is. I think there's still a lot of misunderstanding that burnout is only something that you get at an executive level when you are working really hard and you're doing 70 hours a week and they forget that it actually goes all the way down. I mean, I have experienced extreme burnout in my own career. I'm sure most of you guys have as well. And I think most of us, quite honestly, don't know how to call what is happening to us burnout. And so for me, that number of 50 to 64% at the end, I think is actually probably much higher, but people don't know that what burnout is. Um, and so they just assume it's a normal level of stress that is happening to them, or they're just feeling overwhelmed or some of the other factors of it. Like the, the conversation of burnout as something within kind of our language is really so, so new outside of it being for the like upper echelon of employees in the executive roles. Well, it, it, and it certainly gets into some well, a few things, and, and I know Jason can probably talk a little bit more about this as a psychologist than I can, um, but, you know, it's now, I mean, it's just recently classified as a, a mental health disorder. So you know, it's got an ICD-9 and, and, and also, or an ICD, ICD, it's not 9 anymore. 11. Yeah. So it's, it's a much higher number uh, that I left healthcare when it was ICD-9. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it sort of gets stuck. Um, but also there's a stigma attached to it, you know, now that it, it is a mental health. Um, and then you hear, have the things like Kevin O'Leary. I mean, there, there's this divide. It's that it's, oh, it's the millennial thing. Oh, and I think I find fault but with both sides of this conversation. And so like, there's so many times where I go on to Twitter or LinkedIn and I literally am repeating myself, just walk away, Sarah, just walk away to Sarah, just walk away, don't comment, don't comment, don't comment. And like, sometimes I do. And then sometimes I'm like, this is really stupid. You're completely wrong. And then I walk away, right? Like, I'm like, this is not right. If anybody else is reading this, please don't believe what this is being said. This is, they're trying to sell you something. And then I just walk away and then people get very upset. But like, I think there is a misunderstanding of business leaders, by a lot of employees that assume that everybody that is in a business ownership or executive leadership is kind of the same as like a fortune thousand um, executive where they're making, you know, a thousand times more than their employees. Um, you know, we're, we're a bootstrap startup. And so the first two years, my employees made far more than I did doing this company. You know, and then as we grow, my income grows and all of that, even though all of the risk was completely on my shoulders. Um, and so there's there's a little bit of a misunderstanding because everything is being presented as so black and white, like they're bad against them. You know, kind of this division is really starting to happen. But at the same time, as I was building this business and uh, really coming in to what do I want this to be? What do I want the culture to be? Everything was done very intentional and over about a year of planning where, you know, I kind of call us sometimes like the Island of Misfit Toys. Like we're the people that really don't like the corporate stuff because of all of the corporate rules that go around it. We don't have a 40 hour work week, right? Like full time is 37 hours. If we're working, there's gonna be weeks where we work 50, hands down, right? Like it happens we have three weeks of completely shutdown on top of your vacation time. And so we do full company shutdown. So everybody in our organization is gone at the same time. So you're not checking emails because nobody's doing emails. And so we try to do things that are really focused. And these are things that, you know, we are not a very large company. We're still year three, four, 
Um, and so we are scaling. We just added two more people to our team this week. You know, we're growing rapidly. Um, but it doesn't take a lot of money for companies to do the right thing. And I think that's where a lot of the employees are getting frustrated by it is that sometimes it's the very small things that matter, right? If I paid all of my employees $3,000 a year more, they would not probably be nearly as satisfied as getting the three extra weeks a year off and getting $150 a quarter for a wellness benefit to go do with whatever is going to make them feel well, right? Like go sit on the beach and have some beer. I don't care. Like go do something that is going to recharge you. And so it's, it's frustrating for me when I see companies be like, everybody should be working 60, 70 hours a week. Like I did that the bulk of my career and I missed so much of my kids' lives. And so I don't want to have a, a culture or a company where I'm continuing to do that or I'm asking anyone else to do that. Well, it, it's so interesting because, you know, certainly with the quiet quitting debate and, and all these other things, which, which is what you're talking about, there's so much confusion. I just read yesterday and uh, in, in doing some research for an article that uh, a midlife, well, two things came out of it. One was that Gen X, which are now, by the way, 57 years old. <laughs> so the, the people calling the kettle black. Um, is blaming the millennials again and Gen X for, or Gen Z for a poor, uh, a bad work attitude. People just don't want to work hard. Everybody wants everything handed. Yeah. This is millennial old, that argument, but it just never goes away. Uh, the highest rate by far of quitters is Gen X. Yeah. Uh, in the 45 to 55 year old that was by far, they, they, initially it was millennials and Gen Z when we came out of the pandemic, but over the last 12 months, it's, it's basically Gen X. And also that it really falls in line, which becomes interesting too, with the midlife crisis. Because again, that was something else you talked about burnout and go midlife crisis, just yes, people who can't stick it out and whatever. And, but in their forties and they came up that it's a real thing, that there's a yeah. tolerance, there's a level of tolerance that we have for stress. And at some point during that 40 to 50 years old, we just, it, re it reaches a breaking point and we're not going to do it anymore. And now it's yeah. just a lot easier to leave, uh, which also goes back to maybe it's a lesson we should learn. Don't burn out all the 20 and 30 year olds. And, th and then maybe they would stay with you when they're 40 and 50. And it's interesting. I, um, okay. One of the ones I could not walk away from this morning on LinkedIn I finally just was like, I actually went back to it because I was so annoyed by it. Like literally what is happening is we are seeing these like generational experts basically taking their decks that they presented 10 years ago, removing the word millennial, putting Gen Z on and everything else is exactly the same. And it has been such a frustrating thing through my career. Like very early on, I was actually a speaker on millennial stuff back when Gen Y was still a thing. And then they turned us into the millennials. And then they turned the Gen Y group into like no land people where we didn't fit into Gen X or millennials. And then in this effort to perpetually keep millennials as children just coming out of college, the age range actually shifted by a decade on when the start of millennials happened. And so you've got a whole group of people that were at one point millennials and Gen Y who now are kind of in limbo land and we're like old, right? We're like 42, we have mortgages, our kids are applying for college. Like, and then they talk about millennials, like they're, you know, like, well, you shouldn't have eaten all that avocado toast. Um, you know, there's just, it's just so much easier to not actually be thoughtful with your research and just prey on the buzzwords. And I feel like that is so much what LinkedIn has become, just this like preying on fears and buzzwords and creating more divide and all of these things to make companies feel like, oh, well, it's their fault, right? Like, oh, it's not you guys, it's the Gen Z, like the evil Gen Z, how dare they? Um, the other, Ira, you mentioned quiet quitting. I don't know if you know that quiet quitting was originally the term that was not how it's being used all over LinkedIn today. Originally, it was for people who just basically were stopping working and quit. So not working normal hours, but the people that were just like, 
I'm just going to see how long it takes for them to fire me. And I'm going to just go about my life. So maybe they were working one or two hours doing very minimal, having the things that do like the mouse movement. So I can track all of that. That's what quiet quitting originally was until, you know, a couple of influencers on LinkedIn came along and decided to turn it into meaning work-life balance, which then the term quiet quitting doesn't even make sense unless you're trying to incite people to feel like that is what it's supposed to be an anti-business, right? Like I just, it's very, very frustrating to see how much stuff gets shifted around. Um, and, and quite honestly, the challenges it's actually making for employees, it's making challenges for businesses, retention's number one issue for first time ever. But nearly half of the people that quit over, and this is not my research, this is a much broader study, um, over half of the people, or nearly half of the people that quit during the great resignation regret it. They feel like they made a mistake and they should have stayed with their original job. And so when we, when we have this type of data, we know a lot of people got caught up where it was like, oh, you're not, um, you're not being valued. You're not being appreciated. Grass is always greener. Grass is always greener. That, that extra $3,000 a year is going to make all of the difference, even if you're working 80 more hours. Um, and so it's very interesting to see kind of where this mix is and people don't on both sides, companies are struggling and employees are struggling. And a lot of it is because of the confusion of all of the, I don't want to call it media, but all of the voices that are out there kind of creating this confusion for both sides because it yeah. makes the money. Now I, I want to roll back because yesterday we were, we did a live stream um, with with the Y Institute and we were talking about things and and I looked back at my life and I basically quiet quit in in the in the early nineties because I was working forty I had a forty hours of clinical hours I had my dental practice and then I I, I really was getting burnt out so I cut it back to thirty two then twenty eight then then twenty and was literally playing I was on the golf course more hours yeah. I mean, I was just literally burnt out. I was running away from it. And eventually I did just quit outright. Yeah. But the other thing that I, and I read this also, is that companies, employers have been doing, managers have been quiet firing for years. Oh, yeah. Like if we just lose attention, we don't give them the raise. We, we just don't pay any attention. We, we really do everything to, you know, four letter word, piss people off. Right. Um, maybe they'll quit. That way, I don't have to fill out all the paperwork with HR. It's not mm -hmm. a ding on my on on my uh, dashboard, on my management dashboard. I hope they quit. And so, you know, eventually it, everything catches up. And you know, and especially since the labor market shift, right? It's just, just not enough people to fill the jobs. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the quiet quitting is really a terrible name. And I've been in lots of conversations. But yeah, it was Kevin Kevin O'Leary said, and he's just one representative. A lot right. of people just have a really bad vision of that. We are we need to take a really quick break yeah. here. We're, we're going to take about a two minute break. We're going to come back. You you started to talk about retention as the number mm -hmm. one, so I want to dig into that. But but you mentioned in the report there were two things that employers were interested at, and giving you a little heads up is is it the same thing that employees are worried about? Uh, again, they're looking at getting jobs and retention, but where where's the difference in that? So we're going to take a real quick Perfect. break. We will be back. We want to thank everybody for listening. The Geek Skeezers and Googleization for being part of Googleization Nation. Please stay tuned. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get out of jail free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future. 
to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, Adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion, a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. Then knowing your why is the first step to untap potential. Ira, we could not focus. be any more excited than to have to not only Sarah focus. with us today, but yesterday we just announced a our new partner looking for and sponsor way. of Geeks, Geezers, Googleization, the Hawaii Institute, Dr. Gary Sanchez and Dan Dominguez and all the work that they've done to help people discover their why uh, based around a lot of the work of Simon Sinek. We are proud to have them as our sponsor and for you to see uh, that message from them that you'll get to see moving forward each Wednesday on the show. And if you are interested, and if you're a coach or a consultant and interested in learning more about how the, the why could become part of your practice, you can go to our landing page to learn more information through Geeks Users Googleization. It's adaptabilitytoolkit.com backslash why to learn more. But uh, as we went to the break, Ira, you teed up some great questions there for Sarah around a couple of the, the things, maybe differing opinions between employees and employers. So Sarah, we'll swing it back over to you now that you've had a minute to think about that. Can you share some insights around that? I think one of the really cool things that has come out, out of all of this research is the focus that companies are having on investing in technology to really understand what is going on with their employees and not just traditional survey technology, but kind of the new generation of employee listening, which I know kind of has a bad big brothery type of term, but really there's a new type of technology where we can see when people are concerned about certain things, they can flag certain things, they can get a very real, real time response. So let's say new benefits are rolled out. Well, we know if a bunch of people are like, these suck um, on channels, hey, maybe we need to reassess those pretty quickly <laughs> and address them. And so, and it's done in an aggregated way versus it being by an individual, but really, again, trying to give that voice to the employee type of data. On the flip side, employee experience and employee engagement tools are skyrocketing. They are one of the most heavily invested products that are coming out of the research and part of that is because companies are starting to have a little bit of humility in that we thought we knew what they wanted, but now we're, I guess we're not so sure. Like we were doing everything they said. Uh, what we find found in our research, you know, we ask companies like, what are your top initiatives? What are you doing? And not just HR related, but also just business, right? We're looking to cut costs. We're looking to do everything. We did a mix since our survey is not HR specific. Um, but it's very HR heavy. Um, but then we also asked every single person to contribute their own feelings about what could a company do better for you. And that's where we really did find some mismatch. And I think that what we found is there's a lot of companies that are chasing kind of what the media is telling them the employees want. And the employees are like, actually, we don't care about that as much as you think we do. Like we care about it but not really as much. Like we care first about like, I don't know, like feeding our family, right? Like work stress, like very real priorities with the exception of vice president level people. They were the only one who didn't have the same even personal employee concerns as everyone else in the study. Um, even CEOs were closer to what a employee wanted than the VP level was. Um, and so, right, shocking, right? And so this one little outlier, it, it's very fascinating. But this disconnect, I think, is kind of coming in. And one of the things we're doing with our research and this being free is people can come in and see, 
oh, this is what employees are actually asking for. This is kind of what they would want. I think the number around mental health is going to really skyrocket in our next version of this, um, only because for the first time, the stigma is starting to go away, right? The conversations are opening up. This survey was actually ran Q1, Q2, published early, late Q2, early Q3. For the first time ever in 13 years, we're actually doing a double survey year. So we're moving the survey from being a Q1, Q2 survey into Q4. So we're relaunching this again in 30 days. And so we're going to see same year, I, we expect to see the inflation number skyrocket. Obviously, inflation was very different in March, April than it is in October, November. Um, we think that there's going to be quite a bit of changes. And we also have seen a lot of companies making a lot of movement to make investments and make change specifically to better meet what the employees are looking for, or at least better understand what they are looking for. And I think we have to remember, as much as we think it should be really simple to change a company, it really isn't. Just like it's not easy to change the culture of your family, right? If anybody has ever tried to change how their parents do stuff or change how their teenagers do things, slow process. Uh, companies are very much the same. And so we have to really sometimes in research, it's frustrating because we're looking at this data and we're like, why aren't you getting this? Like, it's so simple. But at the same time, we have to be realistic to see where these small advancements are being are happening. And we are starting to see them in a pace and a way that we have not seen for the last decade of doing this. Sarah, you referenced this just a few minutes ago. You said that there's this disconnect between employers and what they're focusing on when it comes to HR tech. And then it ends up being stuff that employees don't really care about. Can you yes. share just a, an example or two? What are some of those shiny objects that employers are going after that it turns out employees don't really care about? Oh, you guys are gonna hate this. Um, so quite honestly, all of the DEI tools and it shockingly, right? We've ran this all company sizes, all different backgrounds. One of the things we found, the reason being is because most of what is happening becomes performative. And so, you know, 25% of companies actually admit that their DEI programs are for lip service only. Like that was our ask, our direct ask. Like, are you, how would you rate your DEI programs? We're ahead of market or this. We had an option that said bad and we had an option that says good, but they're only lip service. So more than 25% of companies said they either had bad or lip service for their DEI initiatives. And so I think that when we see what company, what employees are really asking for, this DEI number, when we're putting it across the list of everything else, is a lot lower because there's so much other stuff they're worried about, like having their paycheck cover inflation, like being able to get childcare now, having to go back into the office. And so we see all of these other pieces. That doesn't mean it's not important to them. It's still important to a large percentage, but as they stack rank them, the stack ranking of it is a lot lower than we expected to see but it is higher than what the companies are doing. And the, our fear is that there's going to be some of this ongoing focus of it being more of a lip service, because as we go into our buying behavior patterns, there's something that we call uncertainty ratings. And so this is how many people don't actually understand why they're buying it or what the value is to their employees of this. Um, and so we have an uncertainty rating for about 45 categories of technology in the space. DEI is asked among all types of buyers, not just TA and not just talent management and not just core, right? We kind of ask all the way through. It has one of the highest uncertainty, but it also has one of the highest purchasing. So people are buying the tools, but they don't understand why or how to use them. And so what it's creating is these lip service products or things that are not actually doing it. One of the things at HR Tech last week that I found really fascinating is there's been a very marked shift in the last 12 months between DEI and tools that are focused purely on inclusivity. 
Like we're not going to be focusing anymore on like, you know, quotas or like getting this. Let's make sure those people, if they're in, we're going to be able to retain them, that we're going to be able to engage them, that we're going to make them feel inclusive. And we're expanding the conversation around inclusivity to single parents that might be working in our business, people that are caregivers and taking care of their elderly parents. I mean, I think that's a big part of why in our 40s, so many people burn out. They're taking care of both sides, right? They've got kids and they've got parents that they're taking care of. And so you've got all of these other factors and and we're starting to see some of these shifts. Um, One of the other big things of tech that obviously companies are very focused on, but employees aren't quite as much is is the survey portion of the engagement tool Um, because there's a a belief that like, okay, great. You did an annual survey. No one's actually going to read it. Nobody's ever going to care. and We're never going to get feedback on it versus the desire of ongoing feedback. And it's why the voice of the employee, which is very popular in customer success to get voice of customer and other technology. So we're starting to see some of these consumer type of products moving into HR and giving employees real-time voice and real-time opinion and not just, per, again, performative type of technology that does it once in a while. And so the, the gap exists. It's starting to, it's starting there. It's getting better. And, and Sarah, one of the most startling uh, to me, uh, and maybe it was just confirmative to me, was the stat that 64% of the companies that you surveyed said they'd replace at least one of their HR uh, tech vendors, uh, if they could. And that's really been a struggle. And again, a lot of my focus um, in the last few years yeah. has been more on the recruitment candidate experience side. And everything was, well, well we need a chat. So let's, we'll, we'll plug in a chat. But we, again, never ask the candidates. It was a hassle to use. Just because you have it doesn't mean it was easy to use. Uh, so that that number didn't surprise me. Uh, maybe it surprised me that it wasn't even higher. You know, it, that's where my surprise was. I thought it was very low. And uh, and again, by the way, it didn't surprise me at all about the DEI. Is people don't understand it, and people have been measuring diversity, but inclusion is difficult, right. and then pay equity is even you know, a bigger rabbit hole that we need to go down. And and that's really what needs to be measured. And we're actually working on a big report on that right now. So that'll be, well, we're going to have to have you back. (laughs) to talk about that. Uh, I wonder, we want to ask, we got to go into our lightning round and ask a few other things, but I want to let everybody know, we barely scratched the surface, even though it was only 44 pages. There's so many other things. Uh, I mentioned the one, you know, about the replacing the HR tech for vendors you had a great question at the end and i know you can't reveal it but you know was which tech companies make life easy for those who want to download it there's a whole bunch of logos up there so you can see that yeah but i love the i love the uh, the other side is what you <laughs> want to know is what tech company what tech made your life harder that would be one definitely to, to uh, interview the candidates and the employees uh, because there, there are an overabundance of that there. And that fits in really well with one of our other partners that were coming on, Avanti. They, they've they been really focused on the digital employee experience and very similar to the number that came out with 15% of uh, companies only recognize the need to, to address burnout. Um, they had the same thing with the digital experience. And it was really interesting because 25% of CXOs said that they didn't think it mattered what the digital experience right. was. And for those that did, only 20% of them actually put a budget behind it. So even though, so, right. yeah, we think it's a really big deal and we need to improve the employee and the candidate experience, but we're not going to budget it. Uh, you know, so um, the, it's, um, it's crazy. So that question that you mentioned about, you know, who's your favorite and or like what tech makes life easier, how it was worded, we were actually trying to ask CRMs, payroll, like what type of technology category and people without our prompting started listing companies and vendors and solution providers and partners. And on the, you know, what isn't um, making your life easier? Again, the intention is we don't care about this type of a category. We're not seeing big ROI, all of that. Instead, what we got was a list of vendors, which we have, obviously, we're not going to publish, but we have very good data on now. Um, more than, a, you know, 110 unique companies were mentioned, down to specific employees at those companies that were hard to work with. 
And so one of the things that we're doing this year with our survey, because again, the, the goal is to change work, right? Like our, my whole company is set up to change work. Our clients are primary the, primarily the technologies and service providers. And so we take this type of research and some of the stuff that doesn't get published and we go in and we retrain sales teams. We're reworking with product roadmapping. We're trying to help them build and connect better technologies to build things that people want. And we do have focus groups and everything that people can be a part of. But one of the things we're actually doing this year is we are um, going to allow them to actually benchmark their clients and themselves. So they know exactly what their clients are struggling with and they can better meet the needs and start doing some of the right types of focus groups and really getting granular into helping better understand how to build better product for the people that they're already partnered with. So Sarah, it sounds like you're going to be helping not only with product development, but you also are going to be providing some insights on, hey, here's some of the people that might be able to step up performance uh, inside the organization as well. So just absolutely incredible the amount of insights that you're that you're gathering around the workplace. And we definitely are going to have to have you back because we just scratched the surface today on some of these things. Yes. <laughs> but now as we're getting ready to wrap up, we got to hit our lightning round really quickly just so we can get Perfect. to know you a little bit better on a personal level okay. and help our listeners too. So here we go. I promise these aren't going to be too difficult. All right. Let's, let's start with this one. If you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? Oh, this is not, this is the hardest one ever. Oh, oops, because sorry. pros and cons, and I overanalyze every single answer. <laughs> um, I can tee up. I think one. it would be to know the right decision, right? To know the right decision to make um, so that I never hurt somebody's feelings, say the wrong thing, that I can always know what is right and wrong, and you don't have that anxiety of having, you know, made a mistake. I love that. So being able to predict the future, I love that one. All right, here's, here's the next one. How about a favorite band? Or musical artist? Um, it's it's actually talk radio. Um, probably like Dr. Laura, which is horrible. But like Dr. Laura and Dave Ramsey are basically what I listen to. However, when it comes to live shows, I've actually seen 311 40 times in concert. But I never listen to them around the house. But they put on a great show. So I've been traveling and seeing them since I was 18. Absolutely love that. I'm a 311 fan too. And then uh, we'll finish with this one. How about a favorite hobby? So we know that you are a big time researcher in the workplace, but what do you do for fun? Sleep, um, right? I have I have three companies, two kids and a dog. Um, like literally, like I hike a little bit. We relocated over COVID to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So we live in the mountains now and it's beautiful. Um, but really my very favorite hobby is just like laying in bed and just like, watching documentaries and napping. I love that. And fits in well with talking about work-life integration, making sure that you time to recharge. I love that. Well, Sarah, before we let you go, what are some ways that Googleization Nation can get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. You can go to aspect43.com and you can download any of our research. You can pre-register. We actually have two, um, two reports coming out in the next week one around onboarding and one around how to actually buy HR tech if you're looking for adoption. Um, so both of those are going to be coming out. You can also register to be part of our research panel there, which is for practitioners or any employee within the organization. And it gives them a chance to actually have a voice both in participating in our survey, but as well as all of our focus groups and other paid opportunities for providing feedback that come up throughout the year. Oh, and HR Tech Circle. So HR Tech Circle, launching in two weeks. Great place, practitioners, everybody else. You'll be able to go there and find all, not just our research, but all of the white papers, case studies, um, all of the upcoming webinars, events from close to 100 different vendors in the industry, all in one place entirely for free. You're not going to get a bunch of emails. You're not going to get a bunch of calls. You just have access to all of the market education. Again, our big focus is providing democratiz democratization of knowledge to everybody in this industry. And we've got a number of technology vendors that have signed on to support this concept. Awesome. And Sarah, thank you for sharing. Uh, you did democratization today also for our listeners. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and insights uh, at work from your report. And we'll look forward to having you on again in the future to continue the conversation. Excellent. 
look forward to it. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, this, this was a blast, Sarah. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time and being here. And just a reminder for everybody, Insights at Work 2022, if you go to aspect43.com, uh, you can download it there, plus all the other reports that they have. Uh, so please check it out. And uh, you'll be hearing a lot more from Sarah on Geek Skeezes and Googleization uh, in the future. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thank you. Ira, we barely scratched the surface today, and that was just a wealth of insights that I hadn't heard before. Absolutely. You know, again, I've been reading the report. Uh, they, they shared it with me back in July uh, when we got Sarah scheduled for this. So it's been about two months and I, I kept referencing and going back to the report. So there's so much, so many valuable things in there. And, and every time I, I open it up, there's something else that another dot that's connected. So um, I, I highly recommend everybody go up and download Insights at, at Work 2022. Uh, and, and again, the, we always look for, you know, what stood out. You know, one was, and again, it was probably confirmation, but it's uh, pretty shocking was that only 50% of the companies actually um, have a concern uh, that, about burnout. And you and I talk about this all the time, and, and that's, that's troubling. Um, but I really, really like uh, what, the, how they looked at uh, the, the HR tech. Um, there, there's certainly, although technology is, is absolutely necessary, I, I, it's, it's part of this. We talk about it all the time with Googleization. It's, it's the convergence of people, business, and technology. The only way out of some of the problems we have is using technology. Um, things got to be automated, but technology also tracks data and companies just don't use it. They, they use technology to solve the problem, but they don't use it to to look at the data that's captured. And, you know, the technology may not solve the problem that they thought they were going to solve, but there's data in there that can help them solve another problem. And companies just continue to ignore that. That's right. And a big takeaway for me today that was a surprise was it's really tough for people to care about DEI when they're not making enough money to keep up with inflation. They're working way too many hours and they've got way too much on their plate with work. It's like, those are the things that folks are focused on that need to improve first before you're worried about inclusive environments. Absolutely, those are things that are important, but it was a good reminder from Sarah today that there are many other things that have to be taken care of first, almost like the hierarchy of needs. When we talk about Abraham Maslow, like there's certain needs that have got to be met first before you can move on to the next rung on the ladder of things that really matter. And DEI is absolutely important, but it seems like we're in a place right now where for a lot of folks, they're hurting. And they're hurting when it comes to the number of hours, the number of responsibilities they have, and the amount of money that they're being paid to try and keep up with inflation. So until those things start to be addressed first, it's harder to be concerned about those DEI efforts. But uh, until next time, Googleization Nation, we wanna thank you for tuning in today. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. We'd love it if you also drop us a rating or review. But I'm Jason Cochran. Looking forward to seeing you next time. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation and welcome Y Institute as our new partner. Uh, please go out and check it out. You can do that by going to adaptabilitytoolkit.com forward slash Y. And until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>